on, let's welcome the chapel in Scott's edition. And come on, let's give our best to the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail. Love you guys. Love you, love you, love you. Awesome. You may be seated. Well, we're in the last week of our series called What About? And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. But I always love to look in the camera and say good morning to everybody online. And of course, what God's doing at the chapel in Scott's Edition in Richmond. We had our first ever first Wednesday in both locations this past Wednesday. A packed night in Scott's Edition. So, so excited what God's doing. And then, you know, this is a huge month of outreach for us. End of the month is Fall Fest. Come on, somebody say Fall Fest. And so you want to sign up for that. It's one of the only times you can buy candy and get crowns in heaven for it, okay? So uh, thank you for volunteering, being a part of that. It's going to be incredible, both locations at the end of the month. And we're so excited about that. Like you heard during the transition, thank you on behalf of your generosity and your giving. You, you need to know this. You're in Florida right now because of your generosity, helping distribute food and water uh, on the ground through Jesus-loving churches in in, uh, in uh, all the aftermath of that devastation in the hurricane. How many think the church ought to show up when difficulty happens, right? And so thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. And next week, we're launching a brand new series on the book of Joshua on how God has more for us. How many believe God has more for your life? That's so good because in the early service, nobody believed it. I was like, anybody believe? They're like, mm -mm, we're done, you know. And so uh, thank you for being here today. I also wanted to say how, how thrilled we are at what God's doing in the life of our church. We launched a few months ago a 430 service and, at Midlothian. And this is amazing, just to let you know. Last week, we had our largest ever kids attendance at 430. We had 103 kids at 430. You know what that means? Your kids love to sleep in. And... Uh, so, but uh, as always, if, if any of these peak service times are a little tight for you, the 4.30 service is a great option. And after service, we usually give people free food. And people say, are you bribing people? And we say, absolutely we are. And, and uh, thank you for making space. And of course, the parking being expanded here, they're going to finish graveling it. How many know we need a little more parking? And so thank you for your generosity all the ways through Next and your tithes and offerings that are helping us make space for what God wants to do in the life of our church. Well, we're in a series called What About, which was based on your uh, Easter survey. We talked about what about the end times, and then we talked about what about your past, and we talked about uh, what about, wasn't last weekend so good, what about women, and Katie, didn't she do so good, and uh, you know... I made her promise she'd speak once a year, and it's like pulling teeth, okay? How many think we should give her twice a year? Come on. Okay, so it's a church motion carried, so uh, we'll look forward to that. But um, uh, plus, I don't, then I can sit there, you know what I mean? And she's like, this is hard work on the weekend. I can feel it coming, and I'm like, deal with it. You know, like, I've been doing this for a while, and uh, so... Um, but man, we've been in the series called What About? We're going to end the series today um, and next week we'll be in Joshua, but it's about what about, you know, we got so many questions about like, about, we got questions about Halloween, questions about demons, questions about Satan, questions about spiritual warfare. So it's about to get spooky today. Is that okay? This message is going to be spooktacular. 
And I just thought, man, what about spiritual warfare? It's such a good time to do it right right around this time of year because we're all thinking about that. And, and I really believe that um, somebody said, before you know Jesus, your enemy is God. But once you know Jesus, you have an enemy named the devil who wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. How many know that's true, right? And so if you're new here, we're not the church that talks about the devil every weekend. We're not finding him in every bush. We're not saying he's, you know, if you don't get an oil change for 7,000 miles and your car burns up that's not the devil's fault that's your fault okay so so we're not saying any of that but we are reminding ourselves that sometimes there's more going on than what's going on and not only is there a physical universe how many know there are spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms designed to do battle with us and in fact i read a statistic that blew me away the other day that 60 percent of evangelical christians don't believe in a literal devil and, and that just, I hope to prove to you today that the Bible teaches that he is real. And even though we have power uh, stronger than him, uh, there is a spiritual war going on. But I got a phrase that just went through my mind. It kind of has to do with the message. It kind of doesn't. That I just, as I was praying over our church, I really, really felt like it was a message for us in this season. And it was, we can't let people come to church looking for God and only find us. <laughs> And I just had this desire as I was driving here this weekend to say, God, no matter what songs we sing or what message we teach or where the leaders are in different kids' classrooms, would it be the presence of God that connects with people? I believe the presence of God is what people need. I believe God can do more in a moment in his presence that we could do forever. And it reminded me of Paul who told the people, he said, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom. How many know that's what we do around here? We don't have eloquence or superior wisdom. All right, there were no amens. Thank you for that. He said, but I proclaim to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's what I've been praying. Not just for like a few good words that would be placed right or a funny joke, but for, for, not, for, for the demonstration. Just for God's power to be here, right? He says, here's why. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but God's power. How many know we need more than men and women's wisdom? We need God's power. Anybody, right? We need God's power. And so I want to talk together today about what do you do in life? What is spiritual warfare all about? What is God's plan for our life? What's the enemy's plan for our life? And the Bible is really clear that we have to be ready for the battle. In fact, Paul tells us, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And he tells us to put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to take your stand against what? The devil's schemes. So literally he's saying that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So I want you to know your problem is not your boss. Your problem is not your spouse. Your problem is not your kids. Your problem is spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms, the Bible tells us. And then it literally, here, here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to teach us that we're, it, it's, uh, it's authorities and the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so I believe there's a seen world and an unseen world. And I believe sometimes there's more going on than what's going on. Does that make sense? Sometimes you look at what's going on, but there's more going on than just what's going on. There's another thing going on that you can't see, but you know what's going on even though you don't see it going on come on 
and, and that's the spiritual forces of evil. And so the Bible teaches us how to, how, how, I want to talk this weekend. How do I live this out? How do I win the battle? How do I see the unseen world? And if you're new today and you don't believe, I believe there's a literal uh, evil one. I believe that the spiritual forces of evil, there are things in this world that cannot be explained just naturally, but they're supernatural. And there are forces of evil and chaos and devastation. How many know some of the wars and some of the plagues and some of the pain of our world have more to do than just geopolitical forces. There are forces of evil, right? Designed to kill and destroy. And the Bible teaches us how to live out this faith in the middle of this battle. How do we live out the faith? In fact, the Bible tells us that even though we live in the world, we need to realize that we don't wage war as the world does. Because we have different weapons. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. I love this. To demolish, say this word with me, to demolish what? Strongholds. I'm going to talk to you about strongholds in just a minute. Because here's what a stronghold is. It defines it. A stronghold is we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. So that's what a stronghold is. It's a wrong thinking. It's a deception that gets put in our mind to cause us to live not according to God's plan, but according to the enemy's plan. In fact, that's what a stronghold is in Greek. It literally is just a prisoner locked by deception. It's living life by something that's not true. It's, you know, it's that elephant that's, that's chained to that little, at the carnival, it's chained to this little stick because it's been chained there since it was a little baby and it doesn't know that that chain has no power. It can break it. And some of us are living that way, not realizing that God has more for us and God has all power and that we can break those chains and live in total victory. In fact, do you remember the story in 2002 of Elizabeth Smart? How many remember her story? She's in her, in her bedroom. She's kidnapped at knife point. Her sister sees it. Uh, and, and she's taken into the Utah wilderness where this captor and Wanda, his wife, they literally keep her and they, they change her appearance and they develop such control, such a stronghold in her mind that they become actually so brazen that they take her out in public eventually. And they threatened her that they'll kill her, right? So they say, we'll kill you if you say anything. And she's going out in public. The whole country's looking for her. And they actually, she actually tells the story of being in a service station and being five feet from a police officer. And she literally only has to look and say, I'm Elizabeth Smart. And in that moment, she'll be completely free. But she's so bound by a stronghold of fear that she's afraid. She's convinced she can't do it. She can't even say it or she'll be, she'll be killed in that moment. And that just reminded me. I think a lot of people are just so close. They're one step from freedom, but they bought into some lies that are holding them captive. And the Bible says we have divine power to knock down those lies, that we don't have to live that way, that we can live the way God has designed us to live, right? That he has a purpose and a plan for us. A stronghold, just write this down, is anything. A stronghold is anything that exalts itself in our minds and pretends to be bigger or more powerful than our God, right? It's something that becomes bigger in our mind than God does. And even though it in and of itself is not bigger than God is, it's bigger in our own minds and it limits us from becoming what God has for us. And I believe today God wants to demolish some of those strongholds and replace them with truth and give us new life. 
I was a junior in Bible college when I got a chance to preach at the church that we were serving at on the weekends in Rhode Island. And uh, in the church that we attended was one of the great Old Testament scholars. His name was Dr. Richard Niebuhr. He, he wrote a book called God at Sinai, one of the great Hebrew scholars in the country. And I was so nervous to preach in front of him. And I'll never forget the Sunday I stood up to preach. And I was preaching an Old Testament passage, which is scary, in front of one of the great scholars in all the world. And as I began to preach, I could see he didn't like it very much, okay? He had a face that just looked miserable. He was like, mm. And as I was preaching, I thought, this is not right. I'm saying it wrong. I'm interpreting the verse wrong. Dr. Niebuhr knows I'm getting this wrong. So I try even harder and I look over at him and he looked, he had kind of one of those faces that discouraged you. I don't know if you know this, but your face either helps or hurts me. <laughs> Thank you. That's a help. Not so much. You know what I mean? Uh, but, uh. Dr. Niebuhr was just, it just looked like he didn't, didn't enjoy it very much. I remember being kind of bummed that next week. And then all of a sudden, two weeks later, I got to meet Dr. Niebuhr for the first time face to face in the church. And I realized I had missed, I had missed, I thought he was a different guy in the church. And the guy I thought was like an electrician. He just would, his wife made him come to church. So he was just miserable. And here I had painted this whole picture in my mind of you're a failure, you don't interpret the Bible right, you should never preach. And then I met Dr. Niebuhr and I was like, you're Dr. Niebuhr, this is the... How many know some of us live a whole life with some wrong thinking, come on, and we label it wrong and we think it wrong and we're ca captive with some wrong kind of thoughts. And Paul says this is what is possible when the enemy gets a stronghold in our life, he creates a situation in our life where we're held against God's very best for us. And I believe today God wants to defeat some of them, destroy some of them, and replace them with the truth because he has come to set us free. Can I get an amen today, right? So let me give you this quote by C.S. Lewis to get started here today, and that is, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to, believe, one is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them, Okay. So C.S. Lewis says there's two kind of churches, okay? There's one kind of church that doesn't really believe the devil exists at all. Like everything's rational, everything can be explained. And he says that's an extreme, but he says there's another kind of extreme church. They just talk about the devil all the time, you know? And they, they say it's all oh, the devil and it's the devil and it's the devil. How many know the devil is not, is not to blame for everything in your life? You know? But how many know he, he is at work to destroy us, right? And so I think what Lewis is doing is rightly giving us a, a biblical, balanced approach to evil that we shouldn't see the devil behind every bush or every circumstance. But yet neither should we fall into the opposite extreme, which is to think he is not press, uh, uh, present in our world. First Peter says, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, right? You ever watch that National Geographic thing and the gazelle's just like, ah, ah. And the lion just like this. And he's blending in. You don't even see it. And this stupid thing's like. Burr, burr, burr. I just am curious. This is a personality test. How many of you root for the gazelle? Are there any sick people like me in the room that you root for the lion? Come on. I'm just like, get him. Let's do this. Trip him. Ah. 
will pray for us after, right? But the enemy says that we have a, the Bible says we have an enemy and he's out to destroy us. And so we want to equip ourselves today, not to see the devil behind every bush, but to know his plan, expose his lies and, 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 and live for it. So everybody with us today, let's look at Luke chapter four, because who better to teach us about the power of the evil one than Jesus. And this um, story occurs in Luke four and in Matthew four. And Jesus is just about to begin his earthly ministry. And the first thing God does is allow him to be tested. It's almost strange words. Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Isn't this a weird part of the verse, right? Like if you think of God being led in by the power of the Holy Spirit, don't you think the next words are going to be to heal people and change their lives and preach from a mountain and, and feed the hungry? And yet it says that God led Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, into a season of testing, into a season of challenges. I want us to be reminded of this today, that God is at work even in the challenges of our life. And I know there's a few TV preachers that say, if you just follow Jesus, you'll never have a problem in your life. But how many know you will have a problem in your life, right? You will have some difficulties. Your football team will lose once in a while. Unless you're like me and you love Alabama, then you'll win but uh here's the point the point is in life we will have difficulties we'll have obstacles we'll have challenges jesus was led it was not because he was out of the will of god that he was in the wilderness but because he was in the will of god that he was in the wilderness right and there's once in a while a tv preacher or two that'll tell you the only reason you're in trouble or the only reason you're in a season of trial is because something's wrong in your life or somebody else's life how many know sometimes you're in the middle of a test because james one is teaching us consider it pure joy when you face trials so many times because god's developing perseverance and faith and trust in the middle of it right like, God, hurry it up, right? Like, get it over with. How many have ever had a test in your life? Come on, right? And God is developing some things in us. And Jesus is being led by the Holy Spirit, but he's being led into a battle. Just maybe write this down. To walk with God is to walk into a war, okay? And there's a description here that it's not all just going to be uh, uh, dancing through ease in our life, but there'll be some battles and some challenges. But Jesus walked into this with four um, weapons that helped him overcome the schemes of the enemy. And they're the, I think these are four things we can have as well. First of all, he was led by the Holy Spirit. The first weapon that Jesus walked with is the power of God's presence, the Holy Spirit. How many know if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit? You do. In fact, can we just take a vote? You are not better than Jesus. In fact, you are much worse. Did that surprise everyone? Because we can change the sermon if it did, right? How many know if the Son of God needed the presence of God, then us, the sons and daughters, imperfect people of God, need the presence of God, right? And the Bible literally says, then Jesus, look at these words, full of the, come on, full of the... I have great news. The Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence given by God the Father through God the Son to occupy and indwell us and empower us, right? It's the, it's the gasoline in our tank. It's the strength in our journey. It's the power of God at work in the people of God so that we can do the will of God and the work of God. We need the power of God on the inside of us, right? Jesus was going to spend 40 days in the wilderness, tested and tried. He's going to be physically weak. He's going to be tired. He's fasting. He hasn't eaten. He's going to be alone. But God is using this season of testing to prepare him for a season of fruitfulness in the future. How many know it's oftentimes the 
seasons of testing that prepare us for seasons of fruitfulness, right? I wish it was not so, but how many know there's a pain before there's a gain, right? I was in the room, all four kids when, when they were born, and it looked like it hurt. I, I, it didn't hurt me, but it looked like it hurt. And it, it was at a point when I said, why do people do this? Like, why do we do this, you know? But you know what happens a little while later, 12 hours later? You know what happens 12 hours later? They lay a little mucus-covered baby on the chest of a mother, and she cries and says, this is the most wonderful moment of my life. That's what my wife said, and I said, really? Because this is one of the worst days of my life. I'm traumatized by this whole thing. Let me tell you why, because moments of, of testing prepare you for moments of, of triumph, right? And Jesus, before he's led into ministry, before he uh, multiplies the fish and the loaves and heals the man with blind eyes, he's in a season just in the wilderness, and he's not outside of the will of God, but in the presence of God, God's preparing him. And the Bible says he's literally tempted by the devil for 40 days. 40 in scripture is a number of testing. Remember, it rained for 40 days. 40, 40 is symbolic in scripture as testing. What it's saying is Jesus was fully tested. He ate nothing all that time and became hungry. How many know 40 days is a long time to not eat? Where, have you, where are the people that if you miss one meal, come on, somebody, you say stuff like, I'm what? What's the definition? I'm starving. How many know you are not starving? 40 days, weak, afraid, struggling in the middle of all of this and God's accomplishing some things in Jesus' life. Romans 5, James 1, let perseverance finish its work in us that we may be mature and complete, lacking nothing, right? And the enemy comes to Jesus and he gives him a challenge of identity and he asks him, if you are the son of God, then I want you to tell these stones to become a loaf of bread. So he takes his physical weakness and then he combines it with an identity question. And he says, do you really know who you are? If you are who you say you are, then I want you to do this. And Jesus has a question, not only of being full of the Holy Spirit, but here's the second thing that helps him overcome and helps us overcome. And that is when we have a, come on, say it with me, a biblical what? I bet I'm telling you, there's nothing more important in life than knowing who you are. The one who designed us defines us. And when we define ourselves or the culture around us defines us, that's what the enemy's saying. If you are the son, of, he's planting the seed of doubt. Are you sure you are who you know you are? Uh, prove to me who you are. How many know we don't have to prove who we are? We get who we are as a gift from God, right? In fact, just maybe write this down. I, there are two ways to assume identity in life. One is through your own effort, and one is through testing. And I think this is the question. You, identity, you can either achieve it by yourself, human effort, or you can receive it from God. And the gospel way of Scripture is to receive our identity from God. We are children of God, not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his good mercy. In fact, I just felt like I wanted to remind everybody here today in Midlothian, Scott's edition in the jail. If we are trusting in our own goodness to get us into a relationship with God, then we will always be at the whim of our own failures. But if we are trusting in the goodness of a God who shed his blood on the cross, then we can know the security of a relationship with God, right? 
And that's, that, that changed your life. As I'm not serving God from or for acceptance, I'm serving God from acceptance. I'm not serving God for victory, I'm serving God from victory. It's a place of security that I'm living out my faith. My, my dad, my grandpa, my mom, my uncles, they owned a, a construction company growing up. And every Christmas, one of our traditions was to have a big company Christmas party. And uh, I remember getting dragged there as a kid. And I remember one year, my dad, um, my dad was bald. In fact, I still have his, when my dad died, I kept his Juno email address, okay? For those of you under the age of 30, Juno used to be Gmail, Anybody still have a Juno address? That's weird, right? But here's why I kept his email address. It was baldheadted at juno.com. So if you want to email me on my dad's... No, don't. But uh, baldheadted. And so my dad was baldhead. Well, somebody had given him a, a toupee as a joke, and he decided this Christmas party, he was going to try to pull a joke on everybody else. And so he wore this, put this toupee on, and it looked close. You know what I mean? Where you go... And he said, here's what we're doing. My sister and I, my mom, he said, I'm going to wear this and don't anyone laugh. Don't anyone give it away. I just want to sell it as like my new look. And so I said, no one will buy this. I got to tell you, it was the most uncomfortable first 10 minutes of a Christmas party I've ever been a part of. Because he walks in and everyone didn't. They're like, I'm pretty sure he's joking because this is sudden. But I don't want to be the first one to guess. And so we're just like walking around like, don't laugh, don't smile. Finally, one of these guys named Joe Ray, he was one of the salesmen, big construction guy. He yells to my dad. Well, I won't tell you what he yelled because construction guys yell incredible things. But, and finally, everyone started laughing and they realized my dad was just joking, right? And it was just, I remember just this amazing moment of him trying to change his identity, you know, and just the awkwardness. And I just had this idea that some of us are trying to, you know, uh, spruce up or improve ourselves or change our, I'm here to tell us today, God has made us the way he's made us. And our relationship with him comes through Jesus Christ. There's nothing we have to do to add, supplement, make an addition, tag it on. We are who God says we are through Jesus Christ, right? Jesus says to the devil, I'm not going to fall into that if you are the son of God. I'm the son of God because that's what my identity is, right? In fact, you'll notice this in all in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, if you go back and read it this week, in all of the testing that Jesus faced, he always answered with the word of God. He would say, it is written, or, or he'd say something like this, the scriptures say, or it is written. Over and over again, he would just stood on the truth of God's word. Here's the third tool we need to overcome not only our identity and the presence of God, but friends, we need the word of God, right? Somebody will once in a while ask me, are you a Holy Spirit church or are you a Bible church? I thought you needed both wings to fly the plane. How many know we're a Holy Spirit church that is a Bible church? Come on, right? Like, like we gotta have both there. And Jesus, even though he was led by the Holy Spirit, he answered according to truth. He answered according to who God said he was. It is written. The scriptures say. In fact, even when the enemy would twist the scriptures, you could read it there. He'll twist it and say, you know, the scriptures say that if you throw yourself off the mountain, you, you won't be dashed your foot on a stone. And Jesus corrects him. I don't know if you know this. The devil went to Sunday school, actually, you know. But Jesus recorrects him, and here's what he's doing. He's standing on the word of God. I wrote this down. Any tempting thought that we do not take captive to Christ will take us captive, right? 
And that's what Jesus is doing. Every time a lie is given to him, he speaks truth. Every time a falsehood is given to him, he, he holds up truth, right? One of the ways they teach uh, people who are trained to spot counterfeit bills is they get them so aware and so intricately connected to the true dollar bill that when they see the fake bill, they can spot it in a moment. How many know we need to spend a little more time focusing on the truth of God's word, right? Because then you're able to see the counterfeits. You're able to see them coming. You don't get taken back. You don't get misled. You don't get led astray because you, you so familiarized yourself with what the truth is that when the error is there, there's a sense of uh, steadiness in you. No, no, no. That's not right. That's not right. Uh, living by the word of God, trusting in the word of God, not living according to our feelings, but living according to our faith. And Jesus answered him, no, no, no. He corrects him. It is said again, it is written. The scriptures say over and over again, he says this, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Here's what he's saying. I have, here it is, the fourth one. I literally have faith to trust God in this moment. I don't have to try to earn Jesus' work. This testing is gonna be showed up by God's faithfulness in my life. In fact, maybe just write this down. Satan's temptation to get you is God's test to graduate you, right? So, so Joseph put it this way to his brothers. What you intended for evil, God is going to use to bring about good. Now, does that mean everything that happens is good? No. But it does mean that God will even take the bad and use it for good. Do you know there's not one circumstance in our life that God wastes? Romans 8, 28, right? We know that in all these things, God works for the, anybody know it? God works for the good of those who, who love him and are called according to his purpose. It's a sense of steadiness and trust and confidence and belief. And I just want to encourage you today. God isn't in the work to destroy you. He's in the work to develop you. God isn't in the work to, to, to torture you. He's in the work to help you triumph. He's developing some things on the inside of us that he's working, James 1, Romans 5, to develop some character in our our life that we might be more useful for his kingdom. In fact, you know, present troubles are just preparing us for future triumphs, right? And that's what Jesus is doing. He's being prepared for the mission field in the wilderness. But man, I wish this sermon was different. I wish it was like, no, God flung Jesus into the ministry and the first thing he did was give him a mansion and he started healing people and multiplying bread, you know. But instead, he put him in a season of testing. How many have ever been in that season of testing, right? And God works. And, you know, I was thinking today we could leave these rooms and we could be scared, you know, demons and devils and all this. And I just wanted to remind you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, right? Amen. It reminds me of uh, when we were in New lived in New York, we would go to a Delaware beach each um, each summer and... My youngest daughter wanted to go in this haunted Halloween uh, or this haunted hayride thing or ride. I never really wanted to go, but I finally agreed to go with her. And as we rode through, she said, Dad, are you scared? And you know what a dad's supposed to say to a seven-year-old girl? I'm not scared. Well, I got to be honest. There was one moment in this ride that they flashed the lights and this character came. It was a real person came out at me, you know, and you're, you know, and, uh, I just felt scared. We got off the ride, and she said, Dad, were you scared at that one point? And I said, Piper, I was not scared. Of course not. What a crazy question to ask me. 
Well, you know, at that ride, like many of them, at the very end, as you're walking out, they had this TV screen. Because <laughs> they want to sell you these overpriced pictures. And so, you know, I kind of hold her hand. And I'm like, let's go find mom, you know, quickly. But no, 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 there it is. And they time it. They've got like a smaller monitor and then a bigger monitor. And they've got the smaller monitor, which has got the last like eight cars. But they time it. They kind of know when you're walking out where they put your, your, your picture on the big one. And there I am. Like this. And she, she gets this big smile on her face. And my mom, her grandma's right there. And my mom sees it. And I, she starts walking over to the counter and unzipping her purse. I said, Mom, these are overpriced pictures. And you're on a fixed income, and uh, you shouldn't do this. And you know what she does? She buys the picture that still sits on my daughter's dresser. The worst part is she is just fine. And I am terrified. And, I, you know, I thought to myself, we could talk about all this, and I, I don't want to leave anybody feeling like I felt on that ride, Okay. So I want to give you two more verses. Can I give you two more verses before we're done? Okay, just two more verses so we make sure we understand what side we're on in, the, in this battle. And here it is, Luke chapter 10. The, Jesus says the 72, by the way, Jesus had 12 disciples, but then he trained a, a larger group of 72 disciples that would go out and do ministry. And the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. How do the demons submit to us? In what? In your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven and I have given you, come on, somebody say it, given you what? Authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and look at this, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So Jesus says, in the power of the name of Jesus, we have authority over the, the works of the enemy, okay? So let's be encouraged today. Yeah, there really is um, an evil one. There really are spiritual forces of darkness in the world but let's uh, let's not lose sight of this that this is not like a battle that we're not sure who's going to win Jesus has all power right in fact even on the cross the Bible says that God lets Satan free to continue his work until he returns he, he's Martin Luther put it this way even the devil is God's devil That'll blow your mind. You think about that. But the idea is like in one moment, he can step up and end the whole thing. He has power, power, power. All power. In fact, Paul told us this at the very end. Listen, there'd be one name that every principality, power, knee, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth look at this phrase under the earth here's what he's saying demons satan evil dignitaries country music singers <laughs> Kanye West whoever whoever you at that name Hey, we just spent weeks honoring an imperfect queen, which I'm all for, but fine. But there is one name that never passes away. And the danger in this moment is to give undue authority. We should have respect.
for Satan. It's kind of like, it's like electricity. You don't play around with it. There's two things I don't try to fix in my house. Plumbing and electricity, right? Like Kitty will say, is you sure the breaker's off? I think so. But I'm going to call somebody who knows more than I think so. And here's the point. We have respect and reverence for his power, but we have a, a God who has even more power that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. The, the, he, the Greek word Lord is the word kurios, which means he's ruler. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's ruler of rulers, which means you could take all the kings throughout human history and fill this room and he'd step in and be the king of all the kings the lord of all the ruler of all things and what does that tell us today not that we shouldn't have respect or reverence for for demonic power but to just know this that the power of god is stronger than the power of the evil one and with the name of jesus we wield the power of god to defeat principalities and powers and tear down strongholds and establish uh, 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 the kingdom of god extending into the world through the name of jesus christ but catch this chapel. We don't go into our city and say in chapel's name or in, in, in mine. We go in the name of Jesus and say God has a plan and a purpose and an ability and a power above all things. So I don't know what the struggle is in your life and mine, what we're processing. I do know this. There is a name that sits above every single name, and his name is Jesus. There's a power that sits above every power, and that's the power of Jesus. There's a purpose. That's, it's the power. The great weapon we have is the name of Jesus. And I know I'm supposed to pray because I'm two minutes over, but let me just say one more thing. When I close in prayer, I don't like to just pray amen. I like to pray in Jesus' name, amen. You see, because what you're doing at the end of a prayer when you say in Jesus' name is you're saying, God, I'm not even asking you to answer this prayer according to Brandon's power or Brandon's goodness. I'm asking you to consider the name of your dear son, Jesus Christ, the risen son of God. To him be glory forever and ever and ever. Chapel, the whole book of Revelation is written to tell us that Jesus may, may have come as a lamb to be slaughtered. But John teaches us through this vision he has of heaven that when he returns a second time, it will not be as a lamb. It will be as a lion to rule and reign and conquer and show dominion and power over all things. And because of that, we can trust him. Aren't you glad your father in heaven has all power, right? And at the name of Jesus. At the name of what? Come on, at the name of... Come on, one more time. At the name of what? Come on, one more time. At the name of what? At the name of Jesus. So, Father, we rejoice today. We rejoice that even though we're in a battle and even though we're in a war, and some of us are in the middle of the wilderness, oh God, we're walking with your power and your truth and the identity you've declared over us. And, and God, most of all, we're walking with the name of Jesus on our lips. We're walking with the power of God at work in our lives. So Jesus, today our confidence is not in ourself, but in the sinless Son of God, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Our hope is in you. Our confidence is in you. Our trust is in you. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.